Hey guys, it's uh, John Blau. I am the Clemson beat reporter for the Post and Courier. Um, this is our weekly countdown to kickoff feature uh, where we kind of preview the upcoming game, uh, talk to a special guest. Uh, this week it's Tim Beret, who is the longtime um, sports information director at Clemson, uh, was the football guy for a really, really long time. I've uh, heard he is a uh, man with a lot of uh, knowledge and facts and statistics and interesting things like that. So uh, we thought he'd be a perfect guy to, to have on. Um, Tim, uh, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. John, good to be uh, good to be with you. Yeah. So um, a couple of things I'll say just off the bat is that you guys can submit uh, some questions that go into the chat. Um, they'll the ones that are uh, good to go. Uh, don't 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 say anything too uh, inappropriate. Um, we will answer and take a look at. Um, also, just to, uh, kind of pubbed our uh, our newsletter, uh, the Tiger Take. Um, you guys can also subscribe to that. Just we're kind of promoting that. Uh, it's a it's a daily basically newsletter that I put together um, with just you know behind the scenes stuff from reporting on the beat, but also just the the day to day stories that we write. And uh, you can subscribe to that by going to. Let me read the URL. It's really long. Uh, postandcourier.com uh, forward slash the tiger take. Um, but now let's get to it. I actually want to ask you, Tim, uh, first, just because I saw my boss, Gene Savikoff, uh, tweeted this at you. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, he said, so when Florida A&M football plays uh, South Florida on September 18th, uh, Willie Simmons, I guess, will be coaching against Jeff Scott. And he asks, is this the first cl clash of former Clemson teammates whose last names start with the same letter and who lettered in the same years from 2000 to 2002? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, G yeah, Gene told me, that, yeah, that, that you got that, a lot that, of really stuff, interesting stuff. Like, yeah, you know, that, like, that, like that different is be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch that, uh, to watch that game. Willie was our starting quarterback in 2002. Uh, he kind of lost the job to Charlie Whitehurst by the end of the season, but he had some really good games uh, for us, and uh, glad to see he's doing well as a coach. Yeah, because Gene told me you knew you knew, have all kinds of interesting stats that you know, like you know who won, and I don't know what the score was, and what quarter with what pants they have, and stuff like that. So, how big is your book of like uh, statistics or things that you go back and log? Like, how thick is this thing? Well, gee, I wish you'd ask because it's uh, I'm in my house and it's. Uh, in a different room, but I have this thick notebook that I bring with me that has a rundown uh, of, of every Clemson game uh, since when I started in 1978. And I've got the final season stats in there. So I, you know, I can look up some game by game things for, and, and so for instance, last week, uh, one of the writers texted me, when's the last time Clemson gave up seven sacks? in a game and uh, I was able to go through and determine it was 1997. Actually, it happened twice that year to, against Virginia and, uh, and Florida State. So uh, my boss, Bob Bradley, always told me that, you know, it's good to have everything in your mind, but the most important thing is to know where to find it in an efficient manner. Uh, so that's what I've always tried to do. Yeah, um, another interesting thing, since we are going to the South Carolina State game, um, it's interesting for multiple reasons. A, obviously Georgia was a little depressing for everyone last week, and this is the game to, to get past that. Um, also, it's the home opener. Um, so 
the first time in a while, the fans have been able to fill uh, Death Valley. So that will be an interesting experience to see the rubbing of the rock, running down the hill, all that with fans in attendance. But also C.J. Spiller at halftime um, will be honored for being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, and I wanted to start off with this. Actually, Will Vandervoort asked him a question yesterday um, about, you know, Tuesday interview sessions. I, I guess he would come in, talk to people like me in the media. And one of the things he always counted on was that Tim, uh, Tim Beret would have his box at Chick-fil-A. Um, so I guess just going back to C.J. Spiller, I mean, what was he like as a player uh, to interact with? And, and I guess how big of a deal was the Chick-fil-A, I guess, when you had that for him? Yeah, we C.J. was, uh, you know, one of my favorite players, and I'm thrilled that he's back on staff. When I retired uh, and uh, had a dinner for me in 2019, uh, he was the player that that spoke at the uh, at the dinner, representing all the former players that I that I worked with. And he was uh, he was just a wonderful guy as a player. He got it when it came to the importance of the media, whether we won or lost. He was going to you know represent the team. Uh, you know, one of my favorite stories about him talk about the Tuesday uh, press conferences. So you know, he was always there at like 10:30 before Dabo would start. And, uh, and so one day, you know, he was a little five or six minutes late, which was not like him. So all of a sudden my cell phone rings and uh, it's CJ. And he said, Tim, I got a flat tire. I'm out here on 123. And uh, so I, you know, I'm not gonna, can we reschedule this? Uh, you know, he didn't ask to beg off for the week, not doing him. He said, can we just reschedule it? Um, so the thing that, and the thing I loved about it is he called me to tell me he was not going to be there before he called AAA. <laughs> so he really put an importance uh, on it and knew the importance of it. And yeah, we promoted him for the Heisman Trophy that year. He finished sixth. Uh, if we hadn't lost five games by, uh, you know, the end of the, uh, when they had, when the voting deadline, I think he would have finished a lot higher because he had a terrific year. Uh, he's still the ACC's leader in all purpose running by, uh, over 600 yards, and Travis Etienne is the is the runner-up. No other, uh, uh, the highest by a non-Clemson person is 1,700 yards shy of what his uh, total is. But we're so happy to have him back. He really is a Clemson legend, and getting in the College Football Hall of Fame in just the second year of eligibility that is a great accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, if you were to just talk about some of the guys who are you know, the most important players in Clemson history. I mean, think about the era that we're in right now uh, with what Dabo has been able to build, how important CJ was to that. I mean, where, where does CJ Spiller rank in terms of the, the most important or uh, the, the most pivotal guys? You'd have to say he was one of the founding fathers of this era. You know, probably the founding father of Clemson football as a player would be Banks McFadden, our first All-American took us to the Cotton Bowl back in 1939, a top 10 final ranking, and then been other great players along the way. Steve Fuller was certainly a pivotal player in uh, 77, 78 in that era. But this unprecedented run that we're on now, um, you know, CJ really, uh, really kind of got it all started. Um, I, I don't know that Sammy Watkins comes to Clemson if CJ hadn't done what he had done. You know, you talk to Taj Boyd and he talks about, uh, what C.J. Spiller did kind of gave him uh, exposure to uh, to Clemson. Um, and then, you know, you just kind of the dominoes, you know, fall if if 
if Taj Boyd hadn't done what he did, would Deshaun Watson have taken as much notice of the program, which led to Trevor Lawrence? So, yeah, I kind of look at uh, at DJs being one of the uh, original linchpins of what we're seeing happen now. Yeah. And obviously, um, we are talking, though, on the week after the loss to Georgia. And so it, it does still really speak to the era that we're in, that uh, now they're at number six in the AP poll. It was, what was it, 57? How many straight weeks was it that 57. they were ranked? 57. 57, which is the second longest streak in uh, the history of the AP poll, which goes back to 1936. The record remains 68 by Alabama, uh, which has been accomplished recently. But when we had, you know, going into the last week, that streak is 57. The second behind us in active streak was just 19. So, uh, so it really is a, a testament to what we've done uh, done recently. Yeah, I mean, um, and so you can get perspective on this. Obviously, I mean, being in the top 10 is still uh, pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, but also, you know, there have been losses like this before. I think we were we were preparing a little bit yesterday. Um, and you talked about, I think it was in 1982. I mean, everybody's looking back to 2014 was the last time they lost an opener. Um, and it was to Georgia, but 1982 is very similar. Um, for what reasons would you say? Yeah, the, the 1982 game is, of course, I was at the 1982 game. And uh, that was a very memorable game because it was the matchup of the, each of the last two national champions. Uh, Georgia had won in 1980 and Clemson won in 1981. And to show you the respect difference we have now for really both programs, you know, going into that game in 1982, the opener, we had, as I said, the last two national champions. Clemson was defending national champion, but only ranked 11th in the preseason AP poll. And Georgia with Herschel Walker was only ranked seventh in the preseason, uh, you know, AP poll. But, but it was a nine o'clock primetime. It was a Monday night game. Uh, obviously, there was no NFL, hadn't started yet, just similar to the way this, see, this two, the two sports are structured now. Um, and the game was so similar to, to what, we, uh, what we just witnessed. The game ended 13-7. to seven. Georgia won the game without scoring an offensive touchdown. That is the last time before this past week that Clemson had lost a game in which it did not allow the other team to score an offensive touchdown. Georgia's only score was on a blocked punt of, uh, of uh, Dale Hatcher. The Tigers had been backed up close to their own goal line. In fact, I think statistically the blocked punt return was only two yards. Um, and our quarterback struggled. Homer Jordan, who had just led us to, to a national championship, if you, can, if you can, he's the senior quarterback, getting a lot of run for the Heisman Trophy. Sound familiar? And uh, he threw four interceptions that night. Uh, and he only threw seven interceptions the whole year, but four of them were in that game. Um, and uh, and this this note that Clemson fans hope will be duplicated, Clemson didn't lose a game the rest of the year. That was the season opener also. We did have a tie with Doug Flutie in Boston College the next week, but then we won our last nine games and ended up eighth in the, uh, in the, final, uh, in the final ranking. So... So, you know, I've seen this before and, uh, you know, Georgia had a really good team that year too. They, they ended up going undefeated, lost to the national championship game to Penn State and Todd Blackledge in the Sugar Bowl. Um, uh, so, you know, everybody talks about the, uh, the, the problems that Clemson had offensively, you know, maybe Georgia's just got a heck of a defense. We'll see. 
Yeah, and obviously Clemson's got a really good defense too because there's a really great there's really great stats on that. Um, I yeah, think, yeah. Ross Taylor, uh, your predecessor or successor, okay. I guess not predecessor, uh, uh, successor. He he, I think said that it was um, that Clemson was either 67 and two or were prior um, when they give up less than 275 yards of offense and they gave up 256, I think. Uh, so it's a very rare occasion when you play that well defensively uh, and don't win. Uh, I think you had a couple of stats on that as well. Yeah, actually, the uh, you know, I went back through the final stats of the last few years. And if you go through a season allowing only 256 yards a game, you would lead the country each of the last uh, four years in total defense. So that put a little bit in perspective of, of what we did. And obviously, we were playing against a good team. Now, Georgia did have some of their players out, but but then again, we had two of our starting defensive guys out also. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, I look for, you know, Georgia to be a pretty good team down the, down the, uh, down the road. But, yeah, it is rare to, to have that kind of a defensive effort. I, uh, somebody asked me the last time there was a game involving top five teams – that neither team that played each other and neither team scored a touch an offensive touchdown. The only one I could think of was the zero zero tie between Notre Dame and army in 1946 when Notre Dame was number one and army was number two and it ended up a zero zero tie. That's the only, only, I'm sure there's probably been another one, but that's the only one I could think of. Yeah. So what, what do you think we actually learned from the Georgia game then again, like two really great defenses, um, Clemson fans, obviously very passionate, want to see the offense play better than it did. Um, Dabo Sweeney talking this week was – it's a confluence of things. I mean, it's, it's a whole bunch of things. I mean, obviously, DJ didn't look great. Um, the offensive line didn't look great at times. I mean, there wasn't much opportunity for the running backs to get going because uh, they were trying to get DJ into a rhythm. Um, I mean, went from your chair, I guess, watching it, uh, that, what did, did it seem like wasn't quite right but uh, – is there, are there things in what wasn't right that makes you think that it could be right, I guess, uh, shortly, I guess? Well, yeah, you know, it, it's tough. You know, I'm sure the coaches have evaluated everything with a fine tooth comb. You, know, you look at the seven sacks um, and you say, well, how many of those were on the offensive line? How many were those on DJ? And how many were uh, the result of very good coverage in the Georgia secondary. Now, I will say this. One thing that was talked about a good bit before the game, but hasn't been talked about much since, was the impact of Darian Kendrick. You know, uh, there was a reason why coaches would never let their athletic directors allow a player to transfer and then play against them throughout the rest of their career. You, you remember now, of course, that is all changed everybody can transfer uh, and a whim and so uh this this was kind of a perfect storm in that so you got a guy who started for clemson and darian kendrick the previous year went against all of your receivers who caught a pass in that game were, were veterans there were there were no guys playing their first game that he would not have defended against um added to the fact that Kendrick played offense his first two years. So he sat in all those offensive meetings with Tony Elliott. So you still got both coordinators, uh, you know, that, that are involved. So it would be very easy for him to give a really good scouting report on the tendencies of 
those receivers. We might have been better off having a couple of those freshmen play in the game that they had never seen, uh, never seen before. Um, and Kendrick used to live uh, with Ross. So he obviously knows what he likes to do and what he doesn't like to do. I'm sure they talked about it in their, in their room. And, you know, nothing against Darian. If he did give a great scouting report, I mean, that's what he should do. He plays for Georgia now. So that's totally understood. Um, but I think you'll come to the end of the season and you'll see that Ross had his fewest yards by a good bit in this game against Georgia. I tend to think Kendrick might have had something to do with it. Yeah, and obviously Justin Ross is playing in his first game in right. almost two years um, because of his you know next final issue. Um, it, the offensive line's got a lot of moving pieces. I mean, you got a right a left tackle that was playing at right tackle last season. You have a center that was playing at left guard. You have a left guard who's a freshman, uh, Marcus Tate. Um, you've got a lot of moving pieces there. Uh, and obviously DJ, he was so calm and cool and collected in, those Notre, in that Notre Dame game and that Boston College game. I think the expectations were just so high for what he could do. Um, and again, it's not all his fault because some of it's the offensive line. Some receivers were running wrong routes. I mean, Tony Elliott, I think, admitted he even sent in the wrong play call once in a situation. Um, but DJ is also playing in front of 70, 80,000 people for the first time in his life, probably. I mean, I know there's a big crowds uh, in California football, but I don't know if it's quite like that. Um, so there's just this confluence of factors, a perfect storm. Um, I guess when we go into South Carolina State now, I, I think you, people will describe these types of games as you're working on yourself. I mean, obviously the, the, the competition differences, the level of talent difference is just gonna be uh, what it is. Um, uh, obviously, uh, Clemson has a good relationship with South Carolina State. Uh, Buddy Pugh, uh, Debo Sweeney has a lot of respect for him. Um, but what do you want to see kind of worked on? Or what, what would make you feel better, I guess, about where Clemson is heading, I guess, coming after out of the Georgia game and, and then going on into this season now uh, in this game? Yeah, I probably should also mention Tony Elliott got his start in coaching under right. Buddy Pugh at South Carolina State uh, also. So that is even something that enhances the uh, – you know, the relationship, uh, obviously you would like to see, uh, Clemson be able to, to run the ball, um, it more, you know, effectively. Um, and, but you're right. There's a, there's a huge talent gap differential. And then the next week we'll go to Georgia tech and we'll be a little bit more somewhere, um, in the, in, in between, but yeah, I would like to see, I probably seeing Clemson run the ball for 200 yards would certainly be something that you would like to, uh, to see, uh, you know, one of the things that Dabble has been able to do in his career and has been a uh, indicator of success in Clemson history, you know, Clemson has never lost a game in which it's had at least 200 yards rushing and 200 yards passing um, in the same game. So I'd kind of like to see that kind of, uh, of balance. Um, you know, it'd be great to, you know, run the ball for 300 yards, but you'd also like to see, you know, DJ, um, uh, you know, hit some passes and, and, and be back on the, uh, on the beam, you know, I compared John to, you know, when you have a basketball player who's struggling earlier in the game and, you know, then he might get a couple of layups or get to the free throw line and make a couple of free throws, seeing the ball go in the basket, uh, can, can certainly help his, his, uh, his confidence and get him back on the beam. And so I think that's, uh, something I'm, I'm hoping to see from DJ, uh, you know, this, uh, this week, you know, in the game, I, I thought, well, we just need to, uh, um, 
you know, so throw some dink and dunk passes uh, maybe to get them, uh, you know, to, to get them going. But, you know, Georgia did a great job of coverage. I know for a fact that uh, Clemson had planned to throw the ball to the running backs a good bit uh, last week. And on the second play of the game, they did run a wheel route that uh, uh, that uh, player was wide open, but the ball got batted down at the, at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, maybe if that pass was hit and went for a big gain, it would have been um, a little bit different outlook on the uh, on the game. But um, but anyway, that's a couple of the things I'd like to see uh, see this week from the offense. Yeah, that, that was Will Shipley. Um, yeah, Shipley. He, he's, he's shown a lot of maturity uh, just even since he came in the spring. I know you've probably heard um, it, just in terms of his work ethic. Uh, Dabo Sweeney was talking about he just never loses a sprint or will not allow himself. He's competing on every sprint. Um, and he was sprinting down the sideline there. Um, probably could have scored a touchdown, but he, he should, he showed a lot of maturity in how he responded. He said, you know, DJ made the right read. Like he was going for Davis Allen over the middle. It got knocked down. I knew I was open, but Hey, you know, these things happen. And, uh, it would be nice, like you said, to see them get going, running the ball because Will Shipley's a guy that everybody's really, really, um, yeah, I've seen him pop some long runs and practicing and, in, in, in scrimmages and, uh, I think last spring there was a scrimmage. I saw him go 70, 75 yards. So, um, yeah, I think that would be something to uh, to uh, to look forward this weekend. Yeah, and also just looking forward in general for to the atmosphere. Um, you've been in Death Valley uh, a whole lot, obviously. Um, what what is that um, place? I actually this is going to be my first game there, so I guess give me a preview of what is it like when when Death Valley's rocking, I mean, kind of how would you describe uh, what that atmosphere is like and what it means to Clemson? I mean, to have these games there. You know, John, what you're going to benefit from is the, uh, I don't know, this is our third or fourth year that the press box has been an outdoor press box. And that's one advantage of it is, is you really uh, get to feel for the atmosphere in the crowd, you know, from that uh, press box seat uh, when they, uh, when they come down the hill, probably the best presentation of Clemson's pregame entrance uh, was something that ABC did before the Georgia game in 2013. Uh, Bill Bunnell, the producer, called me way back in the summer saying he really wanted to uh, knock the run down the hill out of the park. And they had a lot, already allotted six or seven minutes uh, for it to show the entire thing. And uh, that's the best presentation that I have seen of, of course, we had the added aspect of Brett Musburger being there and talking about him calling it the most exciting 25 seconds in, uh, in, uh, in, in college football. But um, yeah, when the buses come around, you know, there's just something about <laughs> the buses driving up and the guys getting off. And, and then when the, uh, the band plays and they sound that cannon, and the team runs down the hill, it's, and it's even more uh, emotional um, at the top of the hill. There's been one time, I didn't run down the hill, but I was up there. Uh, there was a television crew doing a special on it. This was, oh, this was 20 years ago. It was when Keith Adams was playing, I remember. And uh, so I was actually up there with the crew when the team got off the bus. And boy, it's it's even more, uh, you, you can cut the atmosphere with a knife, uh, you know, up there from, from the top of the hill. And you look out and see all these people. It's, uh, it's uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, I think uh, Marcus Tate was asked about going down the hill for the first time. It was asked, like, 
maybe he'll jump. I mean, how many times do you see guys like just try to, you know, jump the hill? <laughs> Have there been any guys who, you know, fall down? Like how, how often does, does this happen? There have been, <clears throat> we ha there's only been one serious injury um, in 2000, since I've been around, 2003, uh, we had a player who, um, God, his name escapes me, he was the holder. And so he, uh, he tore his ACL and uh, he, was in, he was in bad shape. They actually drove, uh, well, they drove the, uh, the uh, cart or whatever it wasn't an ambulance but it was a cart and uh, and had to you know take them off on the stretcher delayed the start of the game that was the 2003 virginia game um that was probably the most serious um accident that i remember i mean there's been other guys who have <coughs> who have fallen <coughs> a couple of guys <coughs> were accused of doing it on purpose so they could get on sports center um <laughs> Our trainer, <clears throat> our old former trainer, Fred Hoover, wonderful guy, was our trainer from 1958 to 1998. He ran down the hill with the team every time, must have been 200 times, and he only fell one time, one time in 40 years. Uh, so it is kind of steep, though, and if it's been raining, uh, you got to be careful coming down, uh, coming down that hill. Now, Dabo, of course, he just takes off like a ball of fire. You'll notice one thing for you to notice that you know, he leads the team anyway. And then when he gets down to the bottom of the hill, he sprints up to the 50, uh, 50 yard line. So watch for that on Saturday. Yeah. I guess he really gets a running start, I guess going he down. Does. That That's true. Yeah. It's easy to get a running start now. Yeah. You just have to um, avoid the photographers at the goalpost at the bottom of the hill. Oh, that's got to be a dangerous job standing yeah. there. If you get ran over by somebody, it's a lot of impact, uh, a lot of force. Um, but I guess just to, again, contrast it in terms of what this means. Um, last year, I mean, when there were, I mean, only a percentage of, of the crowd there that running down the hill, all that, I mean, was it eerie? And I mean, how, how much does it mean to have that back at full throat, I guess, this season? Yeah, now we did have 17,000 fans per game. Uh, Dan Radakovich and his staff did a great job of, of you know, spreading out seats and and being social distanced, uh, you know, last year and and uh, you know working it so you could get it. So he said, I think we had the second largest average home attendance uh, last year. But so there was some some noise, but it, you know it was like a spring game. It wasn't what you normally uh, hear. I felt so bad for the guys who were in there last year. Uh, you know, I felt bad for Trevor Lawrence, which is when he we knew it was going to be his final home game, and you know it just wasn't uh, you know wasn't you know, the same, like I said, there were some people there, but, but yeah, certainly looking forward to that. I think all Clemson fans um, are, uh, we still have to be careful with COVID and all those types of things. Uh, Want to make sure everybody knows that at least the first two games, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if it was the whole season that uh, there won't, the fans won't be allowed to go on the field at the, uh, at the end of the game, at least for this week in the, in the Georgia Tech uh, a game. And so, uh, you know, that'll be, that's a, a little bit of a tradition that'll be, you know, put on hold for a while. Yeah. It's called gathering at the paw. Gathering at the paw. Yes. Right. Um, so yeah. And, and remember, I guess this is another, uh, thing to remember. You, you don't have to wear your mask outdoors, but if you're in an indoor area, if you're going to be in an indoor area, you have to have a mask. Uh, the, the universities extended that through October 8th, I think. 
Um, I obviously the press in the press box, uh, people like me were definitely going to have to wear masks. Um, but yeah, you just well, got an interesting question though. It is an open air press box. So, I mean, I'm going to, I would wear a mask anyway, but, uh, <clears throat> cause, um, I'm working the Ryder Cup for NBC in a couple of weeks, and I don't want to do anything to mess that up. So I'm going to be pretty vigilant about wearing a mask. <laughs> right now, it makes sense. You don't want to uh, get it yourself. You don't want to give it to somebody else, and that's part right. of the whole um, the protocols. They don't want right. gathering at the ball, and then players are out, and causes all kinds of issues. Um, so, yeah, no, that, uh, it's been a great conversation, Tim. I mean, is there anything else you want to add? I mean, we're coming to the end here. No, I just uh, enjoyed. Uh, being with you and and i guess uh you know but my overall attitude is you know it's a long season uh you know we are coming off a loss but it was still only a seven point loss to the number five team in the country it's interesting how everybody has such a mind on offense and and if clemson lost this game 38 31 everybody would oh man what a great game we've really got a good team there's nothing to worry about whereas you know our defense played great and uh, you know held a really good team out of the end zone and everybody's like there's gnashing of the teeth so um you know we'll we'll see but i looked at it for it to be a lot of offensive improvement just like there was in 1982 exactly uh, i think james skalski called it a hurt so good monday he was happy with it as a linebacker you love those types of games but yeah uh, well you should get more points this weekend and uh thanks guys for, for coming by and listening to us talk uh, again uh, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter just uh, pubbing that it's the postincourier.com forward slash the tiger take so thanks again tim and thanks everybody else uh for joining along we'll see you later